So if you take that approach in anything you do, whether it's painting a parking lot or designing somebody's social media program, whatever it is, you're, if you take that approach of you're there to solve their problem, that takes all the pressure off of you and all the stress and anxiety that you're going to feel in trying to deliver that. And you're going to redirect all that energy into solving that person's problem. I, I'm convinced of that. And welcome to another installment of the Perspective Podcast. My name is Devin. Mitch Harley is on the far right. Cam Roberts is in the middle here. And today we're uh, diving into uh, jumping off the edge. If you're standing on the edge, ready to start a business, and uh, you want to, you you want the motivation to actually do it. Cam has a really unique story to uh, what pushed him into things. I have this theory though on. Um, getting across that threshold uh, a, a mentor of mine gave me this story it goes something like right now currently imagine you're on an island and on that island you have all the basic things that you need to like kind of survive but it's really really uncomfortable um, you're always working way too hard you're sweating your balls off and it's just no good for you um, but there's a channel that's dividing you from let's say an even bigger, uh, more fruitful island. And if you could uh, summon the courage to cross that channel, um, you can reach that, what we would kind of imagine as the paradise or, you know, full on entrepreneurship. And, you know, there might be some risks with crossing that channel. Maybe the water's flowing too fast, or maybe there's some sharks there or something like that. So it's just enough to keep you in that place that you're in right now. And, uh, the only way you're ever going to find the motivation to cross that channel is if you torch the island. If you take a stick from your fire and you start lighting all the trees on fire and you get rid of anything that you could use to survive on that island, you don't really have a choice now. You got to swim across the channel to get to that other more fruitful place, um, which in this podcast we're going to be referring to as entrepreneurship. Um, but Cam, you kind of had uh, your island torched on you, didn't you? <laughs> I, su I suppose in a way the island was torched. Yeah. yeah. Tell us a little bit about uh, how that went. Yeah, man. I Well, first off, that's a pretty decent analogy um, because even starting the process, yeah, when I'm like just even at this moment looking back on it, starting the process is not easy. It requires lighting something on fire a little bit. So for me, um, the fire that was lit was basically in a nutshell was a workplace accident. So like I, I've always had the itch to, to, you know, work for myself and, and be an entrepreneur. And to a certain extent throughout my early twenties, I did, I was always finding odd jobs in weird places. So, uh, you know, I, I was always doing stuff on the side. I even had a small janitorial company for a little while, commercial cleaning thing. And I, I really enjoyed it, but I never lit the Island on fire until I had that, that accident in 2018. So, that I, I'm convinced that good things will always come from a bad situation, no matter how bad the situation was. So at the time, you know, putting my left hand in a table saw was not the ideal situation. I don't recommend people do that as a catalyst. But for me, that that was the catalyst because the company that I have now was basically started about four weeks after that, you know, sitting at home on the mend. And uh, man, 
I haven't looked back since it's been, it's been pedaled to the metal since then. So what, what is your new company? Like what, and, and what kind of sparked that sitting on the couch going, Hey, I want to do that. <laughs> For sure. So the, the shorter version is basically wh- where I used to live. I was in a small town in Northern British Columbia in Canada. There was uh, at, at the time I was working at the shopping mall. So I was, I started out there as a part-time maintenance guy. I basically worked up to become eventually the maintenance manager there. So I was there for about four or five years. And there was one instance where we tried to hire, we tried to hire somebody to paint our parking lot. And it was, it, it was not a smooth process to say the least. So I was only around 21 or 22 at the time, but I remember going through that, that process. And I wasn't even the maintenance manager at that point, but the, the, the one contractor in that town who was able to paint a parking lot yeah, it was a difficult, it was a difficult, uh, relationship. So ever since that moment, I had it in my brain, like, you know what, there's enough, you know, I just started looking around, like there's enough parking lots, even in this small town that there'd be room for another person to do that. So I took that idea and I sat on it for about six or seven years. Yeah. I didn't do anything with it, but it was always in the back of my mind that that would be a phenomenal business idea, especially in the town where I was just because there was only the one contractor. So when, uh, when I was sitting on my butt trying to get all healed up in February of 2018, um, it was, it was basically, it was an itch that I needed to scratch. You know, I just kept going back to that, that line painting idea. So I don't do well just sitting around, you know, it's not my, I'm sure you guys are the same. You don't like to just sit around and idle hands you know, and all that's it. Well, literally idle hand. Yeah. My left hand was in a club from, you know, the fingers being reattached and all that good stuff. So I sat and I just, you know, I started putting the gears in motion just one at a time, you know, started the website, started, started a little bit of advertising, got myself educated on the, the technical aspects of line painting and pavement markings. Cause I didn't have any experience with it. Like uh, getting, a, getting a line straight. Cause that's important, right? That turns out that is important. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so with the equipment they have now, it's, it's easier than it looks. It's not too bad, but man, just even, yeah. I, like I'll never forget the first job, the first line I painted in 2018, like I still was on the mend, but I, you know, went to the job site and I just, I literally remember thinking this better work because I spent all of my money into that paint machine, you know? So how do you deal with that uncertainty? I know a a lot of people would be stopped by that. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think to a big extent I was right. Cause I had that idea since I was 22 and I waited until I was 27 to start it. So dealing with the uncertainty of it, um, I think, I think information is power and knowledge is power. So when I sat there on my couch in February, 2018, right after the injury, my first thought was I should go buy that line painting equipment, but I just started in those few weeks, even just taking the time to educate myself. I don't know. I started, I, I found a book as it turns out, I found a book on line painting so I, I bought that on Amazon. Yeah, it was phenomenal. There's a book that. for everything, man. I swear. So true. So true. And I wasn't even focused so much on the business aspect of it, but more just the technical aspects. Yeah, I got, I started, uh, you know, getting connected with people online who were in the industry who gave me some pointers. I started making phone calls, um, just looking for equipment, getting connected with people. I got in touch with, to this day, I'm still connected with them. A phenomenal guy in Edmonton who uh, walked me through some of those early like the, the jitters of, you know, taking my savings and going to buy this equipment. So I think that was huge, man. Like getting, you, you have to, you have to take the time to educate yourself first on what you're doing, come up with a plan. 
looking back on it, I feel like I barely, I, like I had just barely enough of a plan to get it going. But for what I wanted to do with that first year, you know, I didn't want to quit my job the first year. It was basically just evenings and weekends. I, I got educated enough to take that first step. And uh, once that once that ball starts rolling, it's hard to stop it. So I, how did you... Sorry, go ahead, Devin. I, I read a book a long time ago uh, called Ready, Fire, Aim. And, and ever since I've yeah. had this mentality in the back of my mind that the, I think that that's the only real way to go about doing things like this is there's only so much that you can get ready for. And eventually you got to pull the trigger. You got to do something. You got to take some kind of action because the education alone isn't going to be enough to support you. You, you need to do something about it. And so in, in your situation, it sounds a lot like you, you got to that position where you're like, okay, I think I got enough here. I'm going to fire away and see what happens. Uh, well, what happened with that aim part now? Like after you kind of started firing away, how did you kind of hone in on uh, that aim a little bit better? Man, so true. So I have not read that book. It's on. It's literally in my wish list there. I, 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 that's going to be my next Audible credit. I'm going to get that book. Yeah, it's great, man. But that, Devin, that's so true. Like paralysis by analysis is a very real thing. And to this day, I still fight it. Like I will, my wife jokes about it. She says I research things to death. That's just my personality. I want to know everything about something before I get into it. And absolutely, you can get stuck you know, whether you're thinking about starting a business or even if you're in it and you're trying to take the next jump up, you could absolutely get stuck by not, by not, uh, just taking more action. You know, uh, a, a good friend of mine, he's in the, he's in the East coast of Ontario, of uh, Canada and New Brunswick. He always says that imperfect, imperfect action is better than inaction. And I've like hundred percent found that to be true. Like you don't have to you don't have to know every step. You don't need to know the the 20 steps to the end goal. You know, you just take one step at a time. Um, that being said, I forgot your original question. It was, what was... How did you refine that aiming process? Like after you kind of got out there, you put yourself out there. Like it takes a lot of courage to overcome that uncertainty. But once you kind of get through it, it's like, oh, here's all the things that I screwed up on. And that might stop somebody. Yeah. But it didn't stop you. So I'm curious to find out like what little uh, nuggets of knowledge did you gain along the way there to help you refine that aim? It's true. And you know what? Like, like even now, the aim is constantly being redefined, like sometimes week by week, like the direction the, the business is going, like we're, we've really taken off this year. Yeah, it's constant evaluation. I think for me, I, I was kind of fortunate in the sense that, you know, starting a line painting business is fairly low barrier to entry, right? You, you don't need a huge cost investment. So I just took it intentionally very, very small and, and, and took it one step at a time. So I didn't quit my job when I start when I bought that equipment, um, that first piece of equipment. I, I stayed on my day job. I was at a glass shop working 40 to 50 hours a week. So I just kept it small and was doing it evenings and weekends, just trying to figure it out, right? Like, no field experience, no business, no real business experience. So once, but once things got busier, especially even in that first year, um, yeah, I started spending less time trying to get knowledge about the technical aspects of the trade and more time into figuring out how am I going to actually turn this into a successful business? Because um, I had fun the first year working part-time evenings and weekends, but by the time I got to the next spring, so the second year, um, second season in, in painting, uh, I knew it was time to to quit the day job and 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 go full time with it. So, the yeah, I think again, I think it comes down to information is power. Like you need to find not just any source of education, but a good source of knowledge, somebody to 
uh, a mentor or somebody to help guide you along that process, that goes a, a long way in correcting your aim. Because, you know, looking back on how I approach things in year one, it's not even it's not even comparable to how we do things now as a business. I know too, like knowing you personally and, and, you know, us kind of going back outside of, of business, you're a likable guy, right? You're friendly. Oh, thanks, you're, very, man. you're very positive. I mean, I don't like you, but most people do. Right. So, yeah, exactly. but it's, <laughs> but uh, no, you just, you have a very positive outlook. You're always pretty happy. Like I, I've never seen you come up against something that, you can't just overcome with positivity and in the cons let's, let's call line painting, the construction industry, kind of that world, mm -hmm. that's not common, right? It's not common to find someone who's just a positive, happy, you know, go lucky person. Do you find that that makes a difference with the quality of, cl of clients that are attracted to you and that that relates to profitability? In, in the context of clients, absolutely. Like line painting is no different than plumbing, is no different than digital media. It's no different than like you're, you're solving somebody's problem, right? So if you take that approach in anything you do, whether it's painting a parking lot or designing somebody's social media program, whatever it is, you're, if you take that approach of you're there to solve their problem, that takes all the pressure off of you and all the stress and anxiety that you're going to feel in trying to deliver that. And you're going to redirect all that energy into solving that person's problem. I, I'm convinced of that. You know, we're branching out into some some other services. You know, in the next few months, that from a tech again from a technical aspect are out of my wheelhouse. But in just talking with clients, if you take the time to listen and and be a positive influence, absolutely, it financially it it will pay dividends. And you will start to attract the right kind of clients because you want the clients that are not just interested in a low price for your services or your your product, but really the goal is to work with people who are going to respect you for being able to solve their problems, right? So I'm not. I try not to get too hung up on pain points with with clients. I know that's a big big thing with some people in sales is they try try and find the pain point. I think to an extent that you have to, but yeah, you need to be a an absolutely a, a positive source of. Me and uh, Mitch talk about this actually a lot. The uh, the idea of understanding what the solution is that you're solving. There's like we've kind of broken it down into three essential parts of the business. Is you need to have a problem out there that needs to be solved. Which I like that you uh, were keen enough early in your life to notice like this is a problem. Like trying to get lines painted in our parking lot is difficult when it should be simple. And from that experience, you figured out a way to simplify it and make it. Uh, a little bit easier for the people that you were going to serve. And then, you know, having that lasting, um, you know, an, an eye on the growth and making sure that there's some way for you to continue to take what you're doing and serving people and then uh, kind of leverage that to, to bring in more people and, and make that business a little bit more profitable for you. Um, that's, that's a huge part of it. M me and my brother often talk about the, the winging it factor, how, like you said, there's only so much that you can know. And then when you come in like that customer's problem is very unique to that, you know, situation. And so you have to, you know, on the fly, come up with something that's going to solve that problem. How do you navigate that? Yeah, it's, it's so true. Um, so in our industry, like 
I consider pavement markings part of the asphalt maintenance industry. Um, we do a number of other asphalt related things like, you know, patching and, and uh, seal coating, that kind of thing. There is a guy in our industry who's very well known who has the exact same mentality and he, he, how he navigated that I think is the perfect answer. So his name is Brian Hess. Even though you guys aren't in the asphalt industry, I, I recommend you, you check him out. Um, so Brian Hess, he's the CEO of a company called the Pavement Group. And they are basically in the span of four years, they went from its inception to now they're basically the largest national contractor in the United States for asphalt services. And the guy who started it, Brian Hess, had literally not even touched a piece of paving equipment in his life before. Like by his own admission, he, he couldn't tell you the difference between concrete and asphalt. That's, that's what he told me. He's like, I, could, I didn't know the difference. And now he's out there. They were just named like the biggest contract in the United States. They do like eight, they're an eight figure company now. And the only reason he was able to do that is because he, he took an approach to the way that other contractors were trying to solve paving problems. And he just looked at it from a completely fresh new approach. And he, he basically said that was an advantage for him, not, not knowing how to lay asphalt. And to this day, he said, I still don't know. You could pay me a million dollars. He said, I, I have no idea how to run a paver. But that approach of having basically a fresh perspective on it was what propelled that company and is still propelling them. Like, and they're going through phenomenal growth even now. So I tried to take the same kind of mentality. Like I, I, lots of guys start a line painting company because they were an employee for 24 years at mom and pop's line painting. And they thought, you know, I'll do that for myself. Well, I didn't have that. So I decided to go with the approach of, yeah, let's, let's take it step by step and, and just try and overcome the problems that we had when we were trying to hire a line painter. It was awful. It was a terrible experience. So, I mean, even to this day, that's something I still work on now, you know, trying to deliver solution to somebody's problems to the extent that it's now our, our the tagline of our company is uh, solutions with precision. That's what we do. So we deliver really solutions like to people. Yeah. I, it came together. I, well, I've always, I've always believed that uh, a proper run business is irrelevant to the product or service that it provides. So, you know, uh, somebody that is understands business is willing to learn business, willing to learn people. You could sell socks or you could sell houses and make success of either or, but somebody that, you know, only has been in the sock industry or somebody that's only been in the construction industry that doesn't automatically make them a successful business owner just because they know the product or service really well. So I think that that's a really good example and a lesson for anyone listening to this that don't overanalyze, like we talked about earlier, the technicality of it. You know, a farmer, he doesn't need to know the genetics of why his seeds turn into his crop. He just needs to know how to plant the seed. That's it. Once it's planted, it's out of his control. And, you know, someone gave me that lesson and is like, stop asking why it grows. The fact you know it grows, plant the thing and, and let it do its job. And you go and run a business, let it grow itself. That's not on your shoulders. Learn that later. And I think that that's a good example of that. Yeah. And, and just to that point, like, so there's a, there's a pretty tight group of, of people in our industry, pavement marking on Facebook, and there's some great groups and stuff. And, and a lot of the people on there who have been doing it for 20, 30 years, I mean, they're great guys and, and, you know, I talk with them, but they, they've, they, they've basically been in the same business position that they have been from 2004. 
and that's not a knock on them. Like if my personal philosophy is if you're happy doing what you're doing, then you're winning, right? Like if you're happy that your company is in the same position that it was 10 years ago and you've carved out your, your market and you're doing your thing, that's great. Um, when I, when I started joining and especially when I started, you know, a podcast, which there was no line painting podcast. Um, yeah, those guys gave me the funny look and they, you know, even now they'll still be like, yeah, the guy who's been doing it for four years, like, should we really be listening to you is basically the attitude. And it doesn't bug me at all because, um, yeah, it, it, if, if you want to, if you've been doing it for 20 years the same way and you're happy that, well, that's great. But there are so many different other ways to grow and scale your business. And I think having a fresh perspective is almost an advantage to, I think it's almost an advantage if you start the sock company and you've never sold socks before, because you're going to find things in the sock selling process that all the other sock companies probably aren't doing. That's, I think it can be an advantage even. Mm -hmm. Coming in with that, you know, that fresh perspective, like you said of like, I know that this is the thing, this is the solution. Um, and this is what everybody's missing probably because they're stuck in that box of like, this is how business should be done. <laughs> how, so, how did, cause I, I know that you have a very neat branding in the sense that it's, it's visually catching and you know, it has a purpose. There's, there's a meaning behind it. How did you utilize that? Whether it be social media network friend, like what did you do with it? Because you can have a great brand, but if you don't tell anyone about it, it just stays kind of a neat idea. It doesn't benefit your business. What, what was kind of your tactic to reach as many people as possible? Yeah, that's something that I've really been working on, especially in the last year as the companies started to really take off. Um, I think it's Im- immensely important. Um, and there's so many, I mean, there's so many ways to brand your company. I mean, even in little things like the hat I'm wearing, like you, you'll, like we are black and orange, right? That That's our company. So you will see black and orange, the, the truck's a dark color, the, the logos are all orange even our even our big cargo trailer is orange like i think that's that's important but in more specific ways um like our company tagline is a good example we we deliver solutions with precision and so if i go and meet with somebody for lunch or on a site visit and and we're talking about their problems and and how we can be of assistance on an asphalt project or anything i will i will tell them that this is our philosophy we we deliver solutions with precision and i think even in just uh, reminding your clients of who you are and the approach that you take that's a huge part of your branding i think so many contractors not just in asphalt but any contractor when they start out i mean they're they they take the mentality of being an order taker right like the phone answers you you, you take the project and you get it done as fast as possible and and you just try and fill the plate with as many projects as possible I don't want our company and laser is not an order taking company. We are very, very much a relationship based contracting company. So we will work with, we'll work with some of our key clients, not just on painting, but like we will oversee some of their landscaping projects too. We might, we might not self perform them, but we take that approach because if a client, if I'm talking with a client, it literally just happened today. Uh, a site visit with a guy at 11 a.m. He came up to visit his site. He's from Vancouver. And he just happened to be talking about uh, some some pothole patching that he's like, I've been trying to get this one company for the longest time. And I just said, well, did you know that A, that we do that, but B, even if we couldn't, like you, like call us, we'll help you out with that. Like it's in your parking lot. That's our that's our sphere of expertise. We'll help you out on that. And it turns out he he just, his socks were blown off. He's like, if you could make this happen in the next three weeks, I mean, 
be the happiest guy in the world. So just keeping your ears open and, and trying to be that mentality. I mean, that's that's our brand is delivering solutions to problems. And I think that's a it's a pretty good approach to take for any business. You're touching on something too that I'm I was always curious about and um, something that I advocate for a lot is doing things that uh, are fulfilling for you, like bringing you happiness. So we would kind of like refer to it as um, a business of passion or a, or a passion project, something that you really, really care about. I don't imagine that painting lines on asphalt is exactly the the area of your passion. And the more you talk, I, I'm starting to realize that there's there's something more to it. Uh, I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit. How did you find the passion for something like this and to, to keep it going for as long as you have and to grow it to as big as you have? Yeah, that's a that's a great question because the answer is no, I'm not enamored with the idea of painting lines. I'll still go out in the field with the guys like now. I'm still on average about 10 to 15 hours a week, but no, that's not my, my passion. Um, I think the best way to answer that, Devin, is like what, I hired a business coach last uh last August. I'm still working with them. And that's its own thing. We can talk about that too. Um, cause I think that's immeasurably important, but that's one of the first questions he asked me during like our initial call, um, the, during the intake process, he's like, what's, he asked me, what's the mission of the business. And I just sat there with this dumb look on my face because there was no mission in the business. Like I, I didn't even understand the question. Like paint we paint lines, we paint lines. Yeah. I give them an invoice. They pay, it works really good. But through that process, especially working with my with my coach, um, that mission for what we want to do has become like infinitely more clear. And because now we have a clear vision of not just what I want the company to be, but everyone who's a part of it, um, building that vision allows us to like I'm not hung up on the painting. I mean, we'll still de- deliver an excellent product in that, but our focus and the focus for the company is something much bigger. You know, we don't want to just be, again, we don't want to be order takers for your parking lot and just show up and paint when you ask us to. Um, that vision for the company is, was, it was quite a, it took a long time to build it and to really understand even for myself, like what, what do I want to do with this? Like, do I want to be doing exactly what I'm doing now in five years, 10 years? And the answer was no, it, it didn't align with what I wanted to do. So, um, I think having a, a clarity in the in your business and what you want to do with it, the direction you want it to go, the vision for it. If you have that clarity, finding finding passion in what you do is the easy part because you'll know exactly what you need to do. You'll have the vision in place. I think uh, just being a contractor who performs a service isn't enough of a vision, at least not for most people, in order to find real fulfillment in what you do. How did you tie that into your branding and your messaging? Because I'm being in the marketing world myself, I know that there is a direct correlation, but I'm curious to see from your perspective, how that connected for you. Absolutely. So essentially like the mission of laser is we're in central British Columbia. We're in a town called Prince George. So there's around 80,000 people. There's a number of other smaller towns too, but the mission of, of, of this company is to be the premier service provider in your parking lot. So whether that's painting, whether that's snow removal, asphalt repair. So again, we might not self-perform a paving project, for example, but we still want to be the service provider that you think of when you've got an issue in your parking lot, when you need something patched, when you need your a, a new snow removal provider, you'll want you'll call us. 
And so working that into the branding of the company, um, that's, that's a loaded, that's a loaded topic, but I mean, everything, everything that we do, whether it's on social media or the new website that we just built, it's all built with that flavor and that vision. So if you're in Prince George and you want something done in your parking lot, you'll think you'll think of laser. So I think, you know, consistent content on social media and having a good website, that's important, but I think it really does need to align with the vision as well. So that's, that's always a work in progress though. Yeah. That's a loaded question, but I think it's, I think it's important. Absolutely. It's like a living thing, right? It's, it's always evolving and there's new iterations to it and, yeah, you, you know, constantly updating. Right. And I think this is the difference between some of the guys in, in many, many industries, um, but trade specifically who decide to go and work for themselves and they end up creating a job for themselves rather than, you know, building the freedom that comes along with running and operating a business. And from the sounds of it, you've already made that distinction and have already kind of evolved into that position. How, how did you go about breaking away from, you know, creating yourself a job? Yeah, that <laughs> one of the one of my favorite books I've ever read was the E Myth, very popular book. I'm sure you guys have heard of it. Yeah. But I mean, the, the, I mean, in that book, Michael talks about the difference between the the operator, uh, the entrepreneur, and the manager. And yeah, when I started, I was the operator. I had the operator mentality, and I've seen even now how difficult it is to like beat that operator first mentality out of me. But I for the for the good of the business i have to it's hard for me even now when when the guys go out into the field and i'm not there in like mentally i feel like i should be there with them but in order for the the business to reach the vision and, and accomplish what we need to do i can't be there all the time i can't always be with the guys in the field and that's something that i think not only you as a business owner need to figure out like how is my role going to uh, change and how am I going to meet the change? Like I can't be the operator first anymore. So understanding that for you personally is important, but also making sure that at least on some level that's communicated to everyone on your team too, so that they understand, you know, why, why you're not going to be there so that if they won't be let down or upset, if you're not out on in the field on a project with them. So that all works into the bigger, the bigger picture. Yeah. And that's, that's a hard one, man, because especially in a trade, get most guys who start a trade company have the skill set they're the operators yeah. transitioning out of that as your company scales at least for me was not an easy thing to do and to this day still is not an easy thing to do and that that transition is hard to also like in in the book rich dad poor dad it talks about quadrants as employee self-employed business owner investor and lots of people mistake being self-employed with a business owner and those are not the same thing. They're very, very different. And some of the hangups, and we've talked about this in previous episodes about, you know, being your kind of your own villain is when you're good at something or when you have the technical information for it, you don't trust your teammates. You don't trust your employees to do the job unless you're there. They will never be as good as you. And you will always just be self-employed trading your time for money when you have that mentality there and my argument to that and i've i've said this to business owners too that you know came for consulting was if you don't trust the people on the tools then you hired the wrong people 
And so I think the hiring process there is important and trusting that you've made the right decision with the people on the tools that you can now move from self-employed to business owner. Because business owners, although need to be in touch and what's going on and, and kind of monitor that quality control, they can't be the ones that the business is reliant on to get the job done. So true. And yeah, and, and to add to that, you may have hired the wrong person, absolutely. Or, and I don't want to say more than likely, but there's a good chance that you haven't put in the, the correct systems and the correct procedures. Right. Or train, you, have, you haven't trained them. That, that's it. You need to take ownership of that as the business owner. If you really don't want to be out in the field all the time, yeah, you have to make sure you set up the right systems and you've trained the people, you know, it's, it's no different. Like if you, read, if you read any book by, by Jocko Willink, like he's, he was a Navy SEAL and that's basically the flavor of all of his books is you can't just send guys out into combat and expect them to get the job done. Like you as the leader need to empower them, teach them so that they can take ownership of it. Exactly. Like you said, Mitch, and they, they'll know what to do so that when the f- first mistake happens, you're not sitting there as the business owner freaking out going, well, I guess I got to go back, you know, got to go back into the field and show these guys how to do it. No, you'll have taken the time to, to make sure that that training is in place and you've taken ownership of it. As a proud millennial, <laughs> I, I will say I've lived through a transformation uh, of, of styles of management. And I remember when I first entered the workforce, like my first job, I worked at Esso um, as a as a gas jockey. Like I, I pumped gas for I think it was like four ninety five an hour. That was my first job, and since then I've had thirty eight jobs before landing in entrepreneurship and self employment. Um, and I just watched this uh, evolution occur of managers going from a very task oriented. Uh, way of getting things done. Like, okay, go get this thing done. When that thing is done, come back and report to me on that thing. And then I will give you thing number two to go and do. And um, what I'm noticing a lot now from, you know, the world of management is it's more goal oriented. So here's our goal. We're here to serve our customers in this way. And I don't care what it takes, you know, ethically and and morally, as long as we stay within those boundaries and we accomplish that goal, that's up to you as um, a a member of this team. And when you empower somebody like that, um, I've noticed even in my own self, when somebody gives me that, I I like work harder. I want to do more. I go above and beyond and I, I take on more things that maybe I shouldn't be taking on. But, but the cool thing is, is as a person, being managed that way, I find uh, exponential growth. Have you noticed that in in the style of how you're operating your business? Yeah, like I think you're speaking a lot to the culture, right? In, in a business, and that's that's probably the thing, honestly, that's on my mind the most these days as our company grows. Is yeah, developing the right culture in the business. When you just start out and you take the plunge, and it's just you or just you and a helper. I mean, to a certain extent, you don't really need to worry about it because you're only accountable to yourself, right? But if you can take the time, even if it's just you and you want to scale that business, take the time and start documenting all of those procedures, all those things so that when the time comes to bring in more people that you're ready, you're going to be that much farther ahead. Um, You'll have things documented, ready to go. So yeah, for us um, and for myself personally, like it's, it's, 
it's absolutely a challenge. I'm not going to deny it. Like it's a huge challenge in trying to build and lead a team of people to propel the company forward to the goal that you want to do it. And I know exactly what you're saying about, you know, yeah, you did this task, now go do the next task. And then you do that. Yeah. I was in a company like that for sure. Uh, that, that was my last job before painting actually. And it, it's not fulfilling. You know, it's, it's, it's frustrating to an extent, especially in my case, because I wanted to help them grow. I wanted to help take their business to a new level, but you can't do that when you're just taking orders. So I think, um, yeah, that's, that's one of the biggest things I've been working on in myself personally with my coaches, building the right culture in the business. So for us, I mean, that's as simple as, well, like tomorrow, um, we have a team meeting, uh, we go out for lunch and have a team meeting. We get everyone on the same page for the upcoming seven to 10 days, uh, outline what's going to happen with the projects we have. Uh, we talk about our core values. That's insanely important to our company is our four core values. So just, yeah, little things like that, that's going to, that's going to, that's not just going to elevate the business. That's going to elevate the employees in the business too, because now they're going to start to buy into what you're building. And if you can start building a culture, especially in a contracting business as tradespeople, I, I think that's probably just from my perspective, that's the thing I think most business owners don't put enough uh, effort into is building a team with the right culture of people. And it's a lot of work and it's, it's a learning experience for me, you know, but I think the th you have to invest a lot of time into make sure you're building the right culture. If someone wanted to scale up, um, you know, kind of what's your take on when to scale? Because I, I've seen a lot where people are like, oh, they bring in these contracts to hire a bunch of people, but they don't view those people as important. They're a means to an end. But when you hire someone, you're, you're saying, hey, I am going to look after your income and, and your family and those that are dependent on you. And then they let them go three months down the road, down the road, because well, maybe they jumped the gun on on hiring those people, and you've you've kind of really hurt those people in as far as you know their goals and their road. What point for you was it like this is sustainable to bring more people on? Where was that tipping point for you, dude? That was that was my biggest challenge at the start of last year. I like I was freaked right out. So when I started in 2018, it was just me part time, no problem. I worked my face off, but it was just me, so that was fine. 2019, I quit my day job, but it was right up until the end of the year where I had a helper on the odd job. It was still just me. And uh, by the time I got to the end of the year, I was like, you know what? By the time 2020 comes, like I'm, I'm probably going to need to start hiring. And I was freaked right out, dude. I, I didn't know the process. I didn't know the right way to do it. It's so much easier when it's just you, right? Um, so when 2020 came and COVID went down, I was, you know, kind of uncertain like everyone else. Um, by that time we had moved actually, we're in a new city. So I didn't have as many connections with, with potential clients. So at the start of 2020, I took it really, really slow and I didn't hire anybody. And by the time we got to, you know, May and in June, when things started picking up seasonally in our business, like Mitch, I was freaked out, man. Like I, I didn't know what to do. I felt like if I was going to hire somebody, exactly what you said. Like I, I'm, I'm now responsible for this person. I don't want to let them down. Even if it was just a part-time person, like you want to make sure that you, you're providing what that person needs. So I guess to answer the question of as to knowing when, um, I'm a, I guess in a way this translates to sales in, in a way, because I'm a big believer in actually selling the product or the service that you have 
is a way simpler or sorry, a more difficult problem than trying to fulfill that service or that product. So what I mean by that is, you know, when we started getting really busy last year in the summer of 2020, um, it got to the point where if I didn't hire an employee, I was going to have to turn a lot of work down. And so I did, I hired two guys and we still ended up turning work down by the end of the year. There was paving projects we just simply couldn't get to. So I think if you take that approach of don't try and sell your product or service for where your company is now, push it, push it farther, like go and sell the projects or the service or whatever it is you're trying to do, get that resolved first. And then once you have that, that client or that sale or that project booked, solving that problem is going to be a lot simpler in my opinion, because then you'll have, you'll, you'll have the fire lit under you a little bit to go and bring in another employee, or maybe you have to do something else. But, um, so for, for myself last year, it was, yeah, we got very busy, very quick. And so I knew it was like, if if I don't do something, there's gonna, (laughs) there's gonna be a lot of clients let down. And as it's maintaining a pipeline of incoming business, Yes. Having that, you know, uh, outreach where people can see what you're up to and all the things that you're doing and how well you're doing it so that you have a like a constant influx or a flow of, of people coming into your business. What, what did you do to create that? Dude, that that's like so many contracting companies, right? You, you And maybe you guys have even had this happen, but there's clients, residential, commercial, doesn't matter. You phone a plumber. And you say, I need, I need this plumbing job. And the contractor says, oh, we just, I won't even be able to look at that for eight weeks. That's how busy we are. And they kind of wear it like a badge of honor, right? And it's good <laughs> to be busy. But in my brain, that just tells me that, well, if you're, if you can't even go look at a project for eight weeks, there's, there's some sort of system in your business that isn't working mm. because there's no way you should be waiting eight weeks to just to go look at a project. So if you had the right mentality and you were taking the approach of putting in the correct systems, whether that's employees, whether that's, you know, subcontract, whatever it is. Um, I, I think it's a fatal, fatal flaw to ever tell a client, yeah, we can't go look at this project or we can't sell you this thing for at least two, three months. I mean, that's just no, no client wants to hear that. They'll just go somewhere else. And so to your point about the pipeline is okay. If you fulfill the two months of work that you just did, you can't go and call that person back and say, do you still need that? because they've called somebody else because you told them you're going to be away two months. So for myself personally, when I first started Devin, like I didn't have a, a CRM software, mm. all the clients that, w- that I was working with was basically just in our invoicing software. If you're in the contracting side of things, having a client relationship management software, a CRM is, I mean, to this day, it's directly responsible for a huge portion of our revenue. Because I don't, I don't have the ability to remember all the clients in our pipeline. I don't have the ability to remember when to contact them. I don't have the ability to even remember who we tried to work with the year before or two years ago. But because I keep track of all that in our CRM software, that's like my gold nugget, man. I, if my CRM software disappears tomorrow, I'm probably going to quit the business. Like I'll, I'll just walk away because that's 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 life in that thing. So. Yeah, if somebody's listening out there, especially in contracting, it doesn't have a CRM. Holy cow! Go, go get educated. Because what it, are you using right now for software? So we use a software yeah. called Nutshell. Uh, okay. 
it's pretty it's pretty intuitive good price and everything yeah it's very reasonable um but it was built to scale so i when i first got on it i, I looked at that i mean there's free options out there too i mean heck some guys keep track of their stuff on spreadsheets i mean <laughs> i'm kind of anti-spreadsheet but it, anything is better than nothing right um but i would definitely yeah start learning what a crm is start tracking all of the leads that you've won that you've lost because you have a whole pipeline of people that you could be forgetting about by not having that. So as far as, um, you know, all this target practice that you've been doing, you've kind of figured out where you're firing at now. You got your aim dialed in. What's uh, in the in the plans for the future now for, um, you know, keeping that momentum going? Besides world domination? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I tell when people ask me, what's the plan? World domination. Um, yeah, I, I think the ability to have a clear vision and 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 our aim, you know, the, it's funny. The the thing that's manifested that the most, Devin, for for myself, is actually saying no to people because uh, we focused so much, and I focused so much this year on trying to really understand what our ideal clients are. Because when if you have a business and you have a parking lot, that means there's thousands of potential clients, but not many of them are our ideal client. So I've been focusing a lot on that, trying to figure out what, what clients can we work with that will propel the business towards the goal and the ability to say no to some that don't fit that. It's been a challenge, um, but it's also been yeah, a super important one. And because of that going forward, um, I mean, I feel like we're, we're just, we're not in a big market here, right? In Prince George and central BC. But for what we want to accomplish with being the premier parking lot provider, I really feel like we're just starting to scratch the surface. Um, I think there's a tremendous amount more opportunities to work with, um, with clients we haven't worked with yet, or maybe work with our existing ones on a bigger level. Um, so we're, we're full steam ahead, pedal to the metal, especially this year. It's been quite the year. So everything we do is, yeah, trying to work forward towards that goal of being the central BC's premier parking lot provider. So pedal to the metal. That's the goal. So in, in kind of closing for, for me, for the, for our audience, for our listeners, people that maybe they've just started, maybe they haven't quite, but they, they really want to, but they're, they're hesitant because of those real realistic challenges that present themselves for businesses. What do you want to bring to them to say it's worth it? Here's how to overcome it. Not that you need specifics, but you know, here's here's some things to look at. Here's some ways to educate yourself so that you can be more confident as you take that jump or that scale. Man, I, I don't even know how to pick one. Maybe I'll pick one that that kind of stuck out for me. Yep. And this might be a little bit more market specific. Like maybe if you're in a big urban city, maybe this isn't as applicable, but being in, a, in smaller markets here in, in Northern BC, um, you know, even when I was working at the mall, we would hire contractors for anything, right? Plumbing, heating, snow removal, didn't matter. And I would constantly see so many contractors under deliver in, in everything, not just the service, but the experience, pricing, everything. There were so many contractors that were just constantly letting us down as, as the client, but also all the other clients in our market too. And you know what, what did it for me was, and I would even say this to people before I started laser was, man, there's so many 
unqualified business owners in contracting right now. And, and you know what, it, it just dawned on me that they, I feel like they're unqualified and to a certain extent they are, they're letting people down. They're not delivering the right experience, but they're still profitable. They're still making money. They're still successful. And so for me, myself personally, what really made me go for it was I felt like I could have a leg up on not just the other line painter there, but other companies, because I was, I was pretty determined even from day one to deliver an experience that was better than what other people were getting. So if you feel like you can deliver that, if you're sitting there with the itch to start your own thing, whether it's in a trade you do, or you're offering some sort of product, if you feel like you can deliver a better product or a better service or a better experience, I mean, what, look at it from the perspective of you might be letting people down, right? So for me, it's a, a, we paint parking lots. If there was a, a business in, in our city or our old city that needed line painting done, but they had a terrible experience from the only other contractor there, I'm letting that person down by not starting my own business. And that, that's kind of a mentality I still work on now, like not even in just in business, but even personally, if I'm not delivering the best experience to somebody, I'm letting them down. Right. And I don't want to let people down. So, I mean, there's so many things that could really, yeah, be, be I, the I, I love that. I think that's a great nugget to, to take away that belief in yourself. Right. Yeah. It, and like we said, it's, it's almost irrelevant to the product or service. If you, if you believe that what you bring can benefit people that will take you further in not only scaling business, but starting a business. That's, that's, that's a really cool full, full circle for the conversation too, because Cam, when you started the thing, it was because you had a bad experience in that. And you saw that as the whole, that experiential, um, what is that called? Like when you're, when you lean into it a little bit more than anybody else. And I'm, I'm reminded of the story of the plumber who, uh, would go in and fix the leaky sink, but then to make sure that the leaky sink was done right, he'd go and wash the customer's dishes. And despite the customer arguing not to do that, he said, no, I have to do this to test my work. And so that's the little, the little things that you can do to go above and beyond to serve the people, um, like you said, with just a, a much better experience. And if you don't, you're letting them down. I love that. Um, for anybody who's listening or watching wherever you are, make sure you like, subscribe, share this with somebody uh, who could benefit from the conversation um, and send us an email if there's a, a topic that you want us to touch on or a guest that you think that would be really great on the show. Uh, you can email us at email the perspective at gmail.com. Um, and uh, for now, that's a wrap on this episode and we'll see you in the next one.